Good morning, faithful. The text for our consideration and our devotion right now is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning there at verse 22. Paul writes, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We pray. O Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Does Jesus meet expectations? St. Paul here, according to him, he would say the Jews would say no. The Jews liked to demand signs of God to prove himself. In fact, they had a history of demanding God prove uh, by signs that he was really caring for them, that Jesus was going to be their savior. And the irony, of course, in all of that is it didn't matter the sign time and time again. It was never the sign they wanted, and it was never good enough for them. It didn't matter if it was something big like parting the Red Sea or causing Jericho's walls to fall down, or something spectacular like taking five loaves of bread and two small fish and feeding well over 5,000 people, or turning simple water into wonderful fine wine. At the end of the day, no matter what sign was given to the Jews, it was never good enough. And so at one point in the ministry of Jesus, he had finally had enough, and he says, you're only going to get one sign from me. You're going to get the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But see, that meant that Jesus was going to have to die on a cross. And that's not the sign that they wanted. And not only was it a sign that the Jews didn't want, but as Paul says here, it was more than that. It was a stumbling block. And literally, it's probably better translated, it was an offense. It was an offense to the Jews because back in Deuteronomy, Moses had said that anybody who was going to be hung on a cross was cursed. And so Jesus didn't meet the Jews' expectations. Jesus, according to Paul here, also didn't meet the expectations of the Greeks or, or the Gentiles. They were known for wanting wisdom. And here with Christianity, they hoped it was going to bring them some sort of new and, and cool wisdom, something that was going to blow their mind. But they heard the preaching of Christ crucified and they weren't impressed. They thought that St. Paul's preaching was too crude and too unrefined, too uncultured to be full of wisdom. Where's the wisdom in a God who is beaten and killed like the common criminal? What's wise about being a follower of a common felon? There's no wisdom in that, and so Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Does Jesus meet your expectations? Whether we want to admit it or not, we are very much like the Jews and the Gentiles that are being referenced here by St. Paul. Some days, some of you can be Jews. 
And some of us sometimes, some of us some days are like Gentiles as they're being referred to here by Paul. Think of all the times that you've thought or actually even verbally said, God, just give me a sign. God, give me a sign if I'm in the right area of study, if, if I chose the right college. God, give me a sign if this is the person that I should, should date, if this is the person that I should marry. God, give me a sign that I am doing the right career and am on the right path for my, for my life. And of course, the irony there is whether God gives a sign or doesn't give us a sign, it doesn't really matter because it wouldn't be the sign that we want. Because after all, we know what's best for us, not God, right? And then there are some days where instead we go to God and we want his wisdom to make sense for our lives. God, why doesn't your word explain what to do with this problem in my life? God, help me understand this for a minute. You say that you are good. You say that you are just. And yet every day I hurt. And every day new troubles pile on top of me. Even after I chose to come to this Christian college. And you know, God, you know that I certainly live a more sanctified, more Christ-like life than a lot of the other people around this place. And yet as I watch them, they don't hurt and suffer like I do. Where's the wisdom in that, God, huh? And once again, if God took the time to try to explain his wisdom to us, and sometimes he does, we don't want to hear it. It falls on deaf ears. We get angry with him because we don't think he's right. We think we know that we're so much smarter than him. We think he's speaking foolishness because, after all, he's not meeting our expectations. Does Jesus meet expectations? Not sinful humans' expectations, certainly not. And you know what? Jesus didn't come into this world and take on our flesh in the incarnation so that he could take the time to meet our expectations. Our expectations of God and everything else in this world are tainted. They're tainted and corrupted by our sin. And when anything is tainted by sin, it is nothing but foolishness to our perfect triune God. And so God sent his son and he didn't worry about meeting our expectations because had Jesus taken the time to meet our expectations, it would have simply meant that our foolishness would have stood before God and you and I, we would have to be damned to the pit in the fires of hell to burn for all eternity. And so Jesus, in loving compassion, came into this world and he only worried about God the Father's expectations. And the Father's expectations for his son were simple. It was live a perfect life because we don't. A life that was perfect and always trusting in everything the Father said, knowing that his wisdom was perfect. The expectations that Jesus would be suffering and then would be crucified so that you and I, no matter what we've done, we can be washed clean of all of our sins by the blood of Christ shed on the cross 
and by the waters of baptism where he makes us his own and he makes us, as Paul says here, by the Holy Spirit, those who are called. And the result of Jesus meeting the Father's expectations is that Christ crucified is the center in the teaching and the preaching of the Christian faith. Christ crucified is the power of God. Christ crucified is much wiser than the smartest person in this world, and it is much stronger than the world's strongest man. And for those who have been called, all believers of all time, it is the power and the strength that you and I need for the life that is to come. And at the same time, Christ crucified is the power and the strength that you and I need in the here and now, which no strength and no wisdom of this world or the devil will ever be able to conquer or destroy. And I think the alleged history, I've already talked to Professor Marzoff, he can correct this later for any of you if you have questions, if this isn't right. I think the alleged history surrounding the hymn that we are about to sing is a beautiful picture to only further prove this very point, that there's absolutely nothing stronger and nothing wiser than Christ crucified. Back in the 1800s, there was a Portuguese port called Macao. It was 40 miles south of Hong Kong. And during that time period, it was a very large trading and missionary center. But then, eventually, as we all know, trading moved to Hong Kong, and as a result, so did the people. And so, Macao began to deteriorate as it became a place nobody wanted to go, and it was pretty much just infested with criminals and delinquents. And so, over time, wars and criminals and the weather itself just began to cause the place to deteriorate and actually somewhat be destroyed. Well, on a mission trip that John Bowring took to that area, he came to the old port of Mikhail. And supposedly, as the ship approached that port, all he saw was devastation, destruction, and a ghost town. But as the ship moved closer... Allegedly, all of a sudden, amongst all this destruction and ruin, he saw this beautiful large bronze cross above everything else shining underneath the sun. The church that it had been attached to, three of the walls had fallen down, and only that front wall with the tower that the cross was attached to was still standing at this time. And supposedly, as Bowring reflected on this scene, the symbolism had struck him. It had been centuries since Jesus had climbed up onto the cross of Calvary to suffer and die. Kingdoms had risen up only to fall. Countless, countless enemies of the cross had had their day only to be destroyed in this life and the next. And yet... Only the cross of Christ remain. And with that picture in his mind, John Bowring supposedly went on to write the hymn we'll sing here shortly, In the Cross of Christ I Glory.
Folks, I do not know what has happened to any of you as you sit here today up to this point in your history. I do not know what you're struggling with right now as you sit here or if you're viewing online. And I certainly won't even begin to guess what is yet to come in this life for you. I don't know all your hurts and I don't know your struggles and temptations. I don't know your hopes, your dreams, or your expectations. But what I do know is this. Whatever has happened up to this point, whatever struggles you're sitting with right now, whatever hurts are yet to come, none of them can and none of them will conquer or overpower Christ crucified. Nothing stained by sin can stand up to Christ crucified because it is only foolishness as it stands before the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you today and always to cling to the cross of Christ in his word and sacrament so that you can know what your expectations may be. Your sins forgiven. A Savior and God who will never leave you and will never forsake you will stand the test of time. And the assurance that you will always, no matter what, have Christ crucified by your side through thick and thin to weather the storms of life for all those who are called. And he will turn that all into your eternal good. Thanks be to Christ that he met the Father's expectations and not yours and mine. Amen.